very good morning and welcome to the show coming up it's the animal house just after 11 o'clock so if you've got any pet concerns then do start texting in on 4001 for dr lucinda natras from dkc veterinary clinic and todd carson managing partner of dubai kennels and cattery 4001 or via our app and with the focus this morning talking about those ailments that just don't seem to go away in your pet but first I headed to Royal Canyon HQ last month in the south of France and close to where it all began to take a look at their campus. Their factory and research centre groups together nearly 500 people supporting its 60 subsidiaries, which have a presence in nearly 90 countries. Veterinarian Jean Catheret founded Royal Canin in France in 1967. He had the vision to develop a food formula based in science. Catheret began producing dog food in order to cure recurrent eczema in dogs. He maintained a belief that certain conditions occurred through an adverse reaction to food consumed by the animal. Carrying on this philosophy through to the present day, Royal Cannon continues to make optimal nutrition the focus of their pet food. I spoke to Thomas Bisso, Global Scientific Communication Manager, who told me about the importance of achieving exactly the right balance of nutrients in their products. In, in Royal Cannon, we, we, have, we say always nutrients before ingredients. So in fact, uh, to give you an example, poultry. Poultry meat would be the ingredient and protein would be the nutrients. And in fact, we always think in terms of nutrients at Royal Canin. And, and in our formula, we have the whole list of all the nutrients. So, for example, the six main nutrients that we have are, first, we have the three micronutrients, which are the protein, carbohydrates and fats. They are the one bringing energy to the animal. They give the, the K-calorie. And then we have um, the minerals, vitamins, and last but not least, water. So in fact, in a formula, we have all the required needs, which are details. And we based we based uh, all those levels based on, on the NRC, for example. I don't know if you heard about that. It's the National Research Council. So it's, it's a bunch of very famous nutritionists who are uh, giving what are the recommended elements, the safe upper limit, the toxic doses for every nutrient. So we then there are also other officials such as the AFCO, the FADIAF organizations who say what are the rights dosage for each nutrient. So we're not talking only about protein. We're talking about, you know, what are the level for each amino acid, taking into account the specific uh, needs for the cats and for the dogs, because you know that a, a, a small dog is not a cat. Uh, they are pretty different. So we're talking about uh, animals who are uh, in good health. This is what we call the maintenance requirements. So, for example, uh, in Royal Canin, we're not talking about food. We're not talk about, talking about nutrition. We're talking about health nutrition. So what is health nutrition? Because this is really what makes us different from, from I would say, the, the casual pet food. A bit of this history. You know, it, during the 70s, we, we had food. And in fact, you know, most of the people were feeding their dogs and, and cats with, uh, with the leftovers, let's say. There was no rationing allocation. And uh, most of the data of the nutritionists were extrapolated from, from what they found uh, in beagles, you know. There are a lot of beagles in the in the vet universities because they, you know, this is a, a breed they like to live together, and uh, so th they extrapolate a bit of, of this theory. So it's the, to bring just the energy requirements. Then in the 80s, we we moved on to nutrition. So we were taking into account the age, the activity. So we were really interesting by, for example, the ingredients digestibility. 
The digestibility is, 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 is extremely key at Royal Canon. Maybe we'll talk about that a bit later. And then in the 90s, we were, we were talking about nutrition by size. Now for everyone, when you go in a pet shop, you see extra small, medium, giant, and it seems like normal. But in fact, you have to know that this is not a, a marketing gimmick. It's, it's, we know that the digestibility is not the same for a small dog and for a bigger dog. Taking that into account, the formula are adapted. We were taking into account uh, the size. And then in, in 2000, in actual years, we're talking about health nutrition. Health nutrition is introducing, just to come back on the 19th, for example, we're taking into account also the breed specificity. Mm. And this is also something that we have in Royal Canin. Which is important because, you know, across breeds, they have different propensity and tendency towards uh, certain issues or certain diets as well. Exactly. You know, there is a big debate here, but we have some breeds. And uh, I would say that at the very beginning, uh, most of the the dogs uh, we had had just, um, they were of, used for a work purpose, like a shepherd, like a hunting dogs. Now, more and more, you know, people are interested about just the physiognomy, you know, the look. And we started to breed a lot of uh, dogs together in order to have, you know, the dog that we would like. But this is really anthropomorphic, you know, just for, for our needs. And doing that, at the same time, unfortunately, we selected some disease. I'll give you an example. Like, for example, there is this small dog called the Cavalier, Cavalier King Charles. He has heart problems, you see. And uh, you've been talking about this uh, before. We can talk about the German Shepherd who has digestibility problems. Do- German Shepherd's a good one because that's a popular dog in the UAE. Being a vet, you know, uh, there is a moment where you need to, to learn all the breed uh, pathologies. And, and the, the German Shepherd is the one with the biggest file, you know. Mm-hmm. He has um, uh, hip dysplasia problems, digestibility problems, skin problems. Really, it's, uh, he's a very nice dog, but you know he's... He's a very popular dog. Because maybe it depends on the bloodlines, of course. And, you know, sometimes some breeders are very nice. Some breeders are more interested by money, I guess. And what I would say now is that because those dogs have those issues, we we have to be responsible for what we create. We we know that nutrition can really help certain conditions. Like, for example, you were talking about the Cavaliers King Charles. We know that those dogs are suffering from some heart problems. You know, they have um, endocardiosis, those valve valve problems. Mm. And we know that with certain nutrients such as taurine, for example, or L-carnitine, we can really uh, support the dogs for the contractility of the heart, for example. Uh, We know that, for example, omega-3, EPA, DHA are very useful, you know, against inflammation. So we can use that for joint problems, for example. There are so many things. Breed is really the extremely specific. And you see that in Royal Canon, we have this trend, this tendency to to go to move forward the individualized nutrition. We think that every individual needs a specific individualized formulation. So it's it used to be a dream like 10 years ago when I got here, but now we are really moving forward. Mm. And and it's not a dream anymore. It's there. We can almost touch it. You know, it started by the age, by the size. Then we we came up with new territories, like, for example, behavior. We have designed some diets like the Calm product using a, a biopeptide, which has an uh, anxiolytic a- activity on, on the dog suffering from um, anxiety, for example, and it works. 
so this is also extremely important. And I think that's groundbreaking as well. You know, again, you know, as we talk about health and well-being in humans and with children and the impact diet and what we eat have on our mood, our behaviour, our well sense of well-being, as well as the long-term health effects. And the same is the same can be said for for animals, for pets as well. Exactly, and uh, and there is something that I like to point out. Of course, is Actual canine, you know, we, we always talk about knowledge and respect and animal first, or we say cat and dog first. It's et- extremely important. We, we really want to make sure that a dog and a cat is not like a human. We know that, like you said, there is now pets are part of the family. They're family members. And a way to give love to his pet is also to give food. There is a direct connection. We know that, for example, I've been working a lot on the obesity topic, and this is something that we need to work on. It's really this coaching and this uh, to raise the, the owners to say that, you know, they have to be careful to avoid these obesity problems. And to come back on, on what I was uh, saying, yeah, knowledge and respect. So it means, it means that, for example, a dog and a cat, it's really important that they eat the same diet every day. You know? And for human beings, we were raised as you need to vary your menu. It's really important. And it's true that for a dog and a cat, they have to eat the same thing because their microflora, their physiology is not adapted to a diet that changes every day. And uh, as an example, you know, if you change the diet from one day to another, probably he will have digestive problems such as diarrhea. So it's not good for the dog. So most of the dog, it depends on the breed. I'm talking about such, for example, those gluttons, the labs, you know, they eat. Labradors, oh yeah. yeah. They'll never stop, will they? It's, they're gluttons, you know, it's, <laughs> it's genetic, totally. We know that those dogs are suffering from... Uh, from uh, such problems, and, and we, we need uh, to, uh, to propose an adapted diet. Yeah. I'm and because with Labradors, you'll get issues with obesity, yeah. which can lead to diabetes in an animal, exactly. um, to joint problems in an animal. So like you know, we have three, three pillars. Huh? We have uh, the point of sales with the vets, and we have the, what we call the professionals, including you know, the breeders, the shelters, rescue dogs, board dogs, etc. You know, as a vet, nutrition is a science. And for most of the vets, maybe nutrition is not the most prestigious science. It's not like surgery, you know, surgery or medical imaging when you have a lot of device. Nutrition is is not as prestigious and it was probably a bit or underestimated. Uh, when you have a diabetic problems, nutrition is, is crucial. When you, we were talking about obesity, you know, obesity is a number one nutritional disease. It's a disease. It can affect your joints, it can cause cancer, it can cause skin problems, urinary problems, uh, many things. So by, by just solving this obesity problem, we can solve many other problems. And, uh, and we know that there is uh, the prevalence and the incidence of this disease is increasing. It's a bit like for human. Stay with me. When we come back, I discuss the importance of considering the different growth stages in the animal's life when choosing pet food. The San Vincent Group here in the UAE distributes Royal Canin pet food and I travelled last month to Montpellier in the south of France to the Royal Canin headquarters, the place where it all began. Continuing my interview with Thomas Bitzo, Global Scientific Communication Manager at Royal Canin, he discusses how animals' digestive systems have to adapt to accept different food sources and the importance of considering the different growth stages in the animal's life. There is a tendency now, uh, we have some people that uh, say, we're talking about the bar food, bon and raw food, and people say that they should only eat uh, fresh meat. First of all, uh, dogs and cats are domesticated. Uh, we, 
depending on the literature, we could say that the cat has been domesticated 15,000 years ago and the dog is around 12, 13,000 years ago. So they are domesticated. So if we take the example of the cat, like you said, it's a carnivore, it's a solitary hunter. But the thing is, many adaptations appeared since then. I'm talking about certain enzyme. Uh, which are uh, required to digest certain nutrients. And uh, so the uh, digestive physiology of the cats through all those years has been adapted to that. For example, you would, you would find some starch in a kibble. And some people could say, uh, starch is it's carbohydrate, it's not a protein, and the cat needs only uh, to be a carnivore. But it's his digestive uh, physiology adapted since then. And uh, it's, it's absolutely not an issue. For the dog, it's the same. It's the same. The dog is not a pure carnivore. It's, it's more uh, carnivore and omnivore. And uh, regarding the, 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 the raw food, it could be dangerous as well because when you have fresh meat, you know, it could be contaminated with pathogens such as salmonellosis, for example, and many other bacteria. So it's, I wouldn't play with that. So it's something very, very dangerous. This is more a trend once again, you know, to, to give you the impression that, uh, you know, for, for animal activists, a dog and a cat should be free. But they're domesticated. I mean, they rely on us. We are responsible. A dog is not alone, is not able to, to uh, you know, to live, I would say. We have some dogs that can go back to a, a wild state. We call that the feral dogs, like you, you could have in uh, Australia or in South Africa or sometimes in India, where we have been there a few times. And we have, uh, and it's a huge issue. They live in, in packs and... Uh, and they're not necessarily going to live as long, are they? No, they're so, not short. And as, yeah. uh, you know, as a, a pet owner and pet lover, one wants to give their animal the best health and life capacity that, that is possible. So talk us through how important is it uh, what you're feeding your puppy or your kitten to how that's going to impact their long-term health and well-being. Mm. Of course, uh, if we take uh, the dogs in, in good health, we need to take into account the different phase of their life. For example, the first phase is the growth. And it's true that uh, during this growth period, depending on the breeds, because when you have a Yorkshire or when you have a German Shepherd or when you have a Great Dane, the growth period is not the same. So you know that uh, you have this skeleton that needs a lot of uh, calcium. And we need to make sure that the intake of phosphorus of calcium are adapted. And like probably Hector explained to you, you know that the permeability to calcium in the intestine, the, the puppies are not able to regulate uh, the calcium level. So it means that if you put, if you're adding uh, calcium supplements, he will absorb this calcium and this calcium will cause many other problems such as and uh, like calcification of the soft tissue or uh, growth problems, curved bone, and, and it's a real issue. And could that lead to joint problems uh, later yes. in life? Yes, of course. Yes, it's it's your dog is finished. It's 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 a real problem. And the good thing is that people like to add supplements. You know, they're always a bit frustrated by those kibbles because there is this anthropomorphism. They're like, oh, look at him. Very interesting. And people think, you know, oh, I'll put some meat on top, or I'll put yes. add some wet meat, or I need to yeah. that, that we're, we're we're doing are complete and balanced. From the moment you are adding something, it's not balanced anymore. So let's say, for example, you think he's in the growth period, he needs calcium. If you add calcium, this calcium is extra calcium, and that could be a problem for sure. And just to come back uh, on what we were saying, you have to take into account also that we were talking about the cats. He's a carnivore. Cats has some specificity. He doesn't, they're not able to, um, to, to, to taste the sugar. They don't, for, for them, the sugar 
It's, you know, the, you have the salt, the bitter, the sugar, etc. They don't feel it. And look at the dog. Most of the dog, they are not, they do not taste. They do not spend a lot of time tasting. You know, they go very fast. Probably come from the evolution where they had to eat as much as possible before a bigger one come. This is why changing the taste and everything, it's not really important for, for carnivore. Huh? Although, do, do you find that animals, cats, dogs, particularly dogs, will lean towards something more yeah the water when when you put some water or a slight warm a slight warm water this will you have more volatile compounds and and also dogs are very neophilic they like to taste new thing now with a cat we have to be very careful because cats cats are very fuzzy you know so if you switch to another diet and they like this one better they will never come back on the old one so this could be an issue. But in Welcome, we're very comfortable because we are very proud in terms of palatability. We are probably the best in the world, that I can say. So if you want to try Royal Canin, I hope that you will stay on it because your cat will not eat anything else. <laughs> also. It's okay. true. We are, it is extremely, the palatability is extremely strong. I gave some kibbles to my neighbor uh, last week and he's like, Tama, he doesn't want to eat anything else. <laughs> so. so just to clarify, uh, very important what you're feeding your puppy and kitten to the how that, that animal is going to grow and the long term effects on its on its health. So through the ad- longevity for sure. Mm. So you have an increased longevity. You know, it's 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 a question like uh, we talked yesterday of homeostasia. Uh, your body is going to use some nutrients to grow, to uh, ensure uh, many different biologic reactions, let's say. And if you provide the best thing, so you, you, have, you, you increase your uh, life expectancy, you uh, make sure that you have a strong and beautiful dog in terms of solid, that you're decreasing the risk of some pathologies. This is why this is why we have those breed products because we we know there are extremely specific things and most of the time and we are very proud of that we find the innovation from the field and we always work you know our history our DNA came from with the breeders uh, we started the whole story more than forty years ago with the breeders and because why because breeders. Uh, know their 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 uh, animals and their pets very very well. So we were working with those people, and they were saying, you know, I found that, for example, those feces or the coat or the growth or the longevity is not. And we try to find some, you know, in Wild Canada, we don't even say diets; we say nutritional answer. Yeah. And where are your ingredients, where are your products coming from? So if you're using grain, how are you sourcing that? We have a department here, so I'm not an expert in that, but we have a department called the purchase department. So they are the people looking for the raw material. So it's extremely important. If we take the example of the palatability, I like to do that when I'm doing some campus store. I ask vets or people visiting the, the campus, what do you think could influence the palatability of a diet? So most of the time they would say the taste, the smell. Of course, they are right, but there are many other things, such as the texture, the process, and of course, the quality of the raw material as well. So from the moment you choose a high-quality raw material, you already start to have a good digestibility and a good palatability. It has an impact. Of course, we we work in a very responsible company, so we try to uh, source not too far from the plants. We try to find... uh, uh, the best. We we are we are extremely strict in the selection. Even now, for example, as an ex- when when the trucks are coming in, we are controlling 
all the trucks before they unload. We have a, a house called the sampling station, and we sample the truck, and it takes about 45 minutes to one hour to make sure that it is in accordance with many different tests. Such for, for example, we check the mycotoxin in the cereals, uh, we measure the oxidation, we make sure that for some product there is no beef, so we're doing a DNA research. And if it's in accordance with the officials and with all standards, which are extremely strict, then it's, they're allowed to unload. And if not, they, they go away. And we are refusing 1% to 3% each year. So it represents quite a huge amount. When I come back, hear Thomas as he takes us through the journey that Royal Canin Pet Food goes through from research to finished product. Have you ever considered what goes into producing your pet's food? Well, I continue my discussion now with Thomas Bissot of Royal Canin in France. I discovered an incredibly meticulous process moving from research all the way to the finished product. A nutritional answer is made of nutrients, most, and we have six main nutrients, protein, carbohydrates, fats, minerals, vitamins, and water. And those nutrients are coming from ingredients, and we have to find those ingredients. So we work with suppliers. Those suppliers have to answer a lot of standards. We are extremely strict. In Royal Canin, most, we used to do a lot of dry diets. Now we are doing a, lot, a bit of wet. Those are two complementary uh, way of uh, being fed. But let's take the example of a protein, for example. We have poultry. So this poultry meat looks like uh, a powder. It has been dried already. It has been taken from a supplier that we know very well, that we have visited, and that we're making sure it's not too far for sustainable reasons. You know that sustainability. Then it arrives at the campus. It's being weighed. We are extremely careful about the traceability as well. We want to follow the raw material, you know, from the moment from the supplier until uh, in, in, in the bag. Then it's being checked. You know, this is the autocontrol lab, though there is a lot of checking. And then it's uh, being stored in the silos. Then it's the, it's, it's the making of a kibble. So we have a grinding tower where we grind everything because uh, we, are, we will incorporate in those proteins, fats and minerals and, and other nutrients, nutrients. Sorry. And then it's, we are adding a bit of water and then it goes into the extrusion room. So extrusion is really something specific. This is, this is a machine where you have this grinded material that arrives into a kind of a tube and there is a no-end screw. So we have a mechanical force and then we have a thermic force and at the exit there is those plates with those little shapes that will give the shape to the kibble and you have rotating knife and then we have all kibbles that there are being aspired, they are being dried. Why are they being dried? Because we want to make sure they have only in a kibble you have about 7 to 8% of water because if you have more there is a, a big risk of mold development and when it's being dried there is the coating so we are adding what we call the palatability enhancers. This is something extremely confidential, I don't know and then it's been allocated to the different packaging lines and then it's, it's being ready to be shipped and during the whole thing we have of course uh, many process, I don't know if you want to go into the details like such as the HACCP, Hazard analysis, critical control points. Those are, you know, critical control points. We want to make sure that it is respected. This is something that's been invented by the NASA, by the way, to make sure that you have the metal detection, the temperature at the extrusion, etc., etc. So it's very, very... Meticulous. It's yes. so thorough. And it has to be, doesn't it? And it has to be, everything needs to be traceable. 
Ah uh, yes, this is this is a condition. Yes, we want to make sure we can follow everything. So, every it's a mass production, isn't it? I mean, I know you've got sites all over the world, but you know, if, you, if you take the example of this plant here, you are here in the south of France. This is the headquarter of Royal Canin, and uh, this is the biggest plant. We are producing per year two hundred thousand tons per year, and we are our daily production allows us just for this plant to to feed two million of dogs, for example. We could feed two million of dogs. Yeah with my dear uh, vet colleagues. And like I told you, nutrition not being the most prestigious uh, science, but it, it's, it's becoming more and more. I know that when I invite them to Royal Canyon and they have a tour, it's not the same after. You know, they change as much. It's just like, uh, okay, I didn't realize there was so, so many things behind this kibble. What is also extremely impressive is the lab. We have a central lab here and we have a regional lab and in those labs you will find high technical devices. It's, it's really impressive. See, the, we are very cautious about traceability, food safety, and food quality. We are an extremely ethical company. There is no animal testing here. We do, the only thing that we test is the palatability and the digestibility. So it does not require any manipulation. So the greatest hardship for the, for the animal pet here is that it has to eat. Yeah, <laughs> of course. You see, for example, you will see on your bag, um, I don't know, a poultry or so hydrolyzate digestibility, uh, 99%. What does it mean, 99%? It means that, in fact, 99% of this protein is being absorbed at the level of your small intestine. And you have an undigested residue of 1% left that will reach the colon. And that will be used as a substrate by the microflora in your colon. Uh, and that will fermentate. So if you have a digestibility under 90%, you have a, a more, a greater uh, undigested residue in the colon, and then a lot of fermentation, and this will suddenly impact the quality of the stool, and, of it, and it causes a lot of discomfort for the animal. This is also something that makes us different from the normal nutrition, because... There is a lot of misconception regarding the protein, as an example. Many people are obsessed. I'm, 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 I don't know why, you know, across our region, many insular countries are kind of obsessed with molossoids. You know, they like very strong dogs like Argentino dogs, American Staffordshire, okay. Bull Mastiff, and uh, very strong dogs with a huge muscular mass. And they think that they need to have a high-protein diet because muscles are, are made of protein. It's, it's a nonsense. You're, we don't talk about the level of protein. We are talking about the quality of the protein. So how do we judge the quality of a protein? First, the digestibility. If you have a good digestibility, all the protein that we use, sometimes on the bag you will, you will see LIP. It stands for low indigested protein. LIP means that all the protein that we're using have a digestibility of at least 90%. So you will, you will not find a, a protein with a digestibility under 90%. You can find in the normal food, let's say, you can, it could be around 85, 80, but this will impact the quality of this tool. The other thing, so that's the first thing for the quality of the protein. It means that if you have a very high level, it doesn't mean anything because at the end it will maybe not absorbed or digested. And last but not least, you are talking about nutrients, and you know that proteins are made of amino acids, which are bound together. And then it is the amino acid profile. We want to make sure because each amino acid profile uh, has been studied and has specific uh, level for, for dogs and for cats. So we, this is how we judge 
protein, amino acid profile and digestibility. So this is an example. Uh, and of course, as you've explained, the sort of what the process and what happens here. Uh, but you're also, as you've, you know, as you've said, you know, you're, you're supplying to different kinds of dogs, different breeds. What about the crossbreed? That's something that, you know, in the UAE, we have a lot of dogs that are fostered and adopted and, or actually out of choice, to be honest. I Prior to me having Vizslas, I always uh, went for a shelter dog or a crossbreed dog. Yeah. They're hardy, incredibly loyal on the whole, you know, live longer. So how do you, you know, facilitate and support those kinds of dogs? Yeah. Uh, breed are very specific. The, it's not a problem because your cross dog, we have adapted our nutritional answer on the, for the age, for the size, for the lifestyle and for eventually sexual status, is it nutrient or not? We have those kind of food as well for the crossbreed because your crossbreed might be a medium, a maxi, maybe he has been nurtured, maybe he's a very active dog, so he needs uh, something high in energy. Maybe he has a specific problems, urinary problems. You could give as well some breed product, but it's true that we, we have solutions as well, yeah. Every, every, all the bases have been covered. I, I think a lot of us think, oh, well, you know, if I've got a, a dog between the age of sort of, you know, after, out of puppy stage, between the age of like two or three, up until maybe eight or nine, fit dog, I don't need to worry too much about what, like you would perhaps with humans, you know, you don't need to worry what you're eating because you can burn it off and, you know, it'll take care of itself. But to understand as a dog's that, if we're doing the right thing in, in thinking that way, because of thinking what is to come is a dog and a cat going into older age. And so really about prevention rather than waiting till a dog shows issues later on and then want to feed it accordingly to that issue to, to understand what we can be doing as responsible pet owners. Mm. For owners. Yeah, you're right. Um, I would say that during the maintenance phase, so for an adult dog between, let's say, two and five or six years, most of the time the body is in the body if they are in perfect condition so their body is able to compensate let's say the bad nutrition but you will pay that later for sure if you if we talk about the older dogs the first thing that we could uh, work on are the kidney the kidney function has a tendency to let's say decompensate especially for the cats for those who who have cats they know that uh, it's one of the number one disease it's the uh, chronic renal insufficiency and it's it's a real issue and you can you can spare that by for example decreasing the level of phosphorus this is extremely important huh? because for years people were thinking it's because of the protein but in fact it's really the the level of phosphorus in Royal Canin we work a lot with the vet university as well, and the best one in the world, UCA Davis, who is ranking, ranked number one in the world, in Utrecht, in Australia. And we work with all those key opinion leaders, and, and we have the, I had the chance to be in charge of the clinical trial and to follow some clinical trial with the great vets around the world. And we, thanks to them, we were able to design and measure the efficiency of our, of our nutritional answer in, in, in clinical trials, which are published in the best people peer-reviewed peer-reviewed ma magazine such as for example the journal of nutrition journal of internal medicine which is the most prestigious journal in the vet world and um, we have you know that the, there is joint problems so we can of, of course support the joints by adding some nutrients such as the um, we have this glm the green lip muscle we have the uh, omega-3 we have antioxidants uh, we are adapting also the the level the energy because you know that some, so when you get older, you have a tendency, you know, to gain weight a bit. So we need to adapt that as well. We are also working on the cognitive function 
Huh? So this is also very important. So it's 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 quite similar to to uh, human beings. So you know they are mammals huh? like us. Huh? So we thanks to nutrition and thanks also to uh, the vet cares and our knowledge improving uh, decades after decades, we have more and more of those diseases uh, such as diabetes, tumors, osteoarthrosis, all those pathology that you have when you get old. Senility. You just touched on it there. Um, you know, we're hearing more and more about Alzheimer's in humans, but also you may not think of it, but I'm like, I won't keep talking about my dog, but she in the last sort of year showed signs mm. of uh, senility. Yes. She would pace around in a circle, go in the same route. Um, you could see that was a sign sure. of old age. Sure, yeah. you're right. There are many, there are, there, are, there are a lot of strategies, you know, for example, uh, some amino acids such, such as the tryptophan, you know, we, that, that can improve the, the cognitive function. We are not eternal. Huh? Yeah. We're not. We're not. So, yeah. but we can really, we can really improve uh, the life. And, and finally, this is the only thing that that motivates us. We just want to provide a better life for pets. And uh, I'm totally in line with that. This is also the reason why I'm still here. I think Hector. From the moments I would feel, I don't feel this passion, and I think we're not on the right track anymore. Or it's just a business company. I will leave, and you know, I'm not ready to leave. Stay with me as next we discuss new innovations in pet food with Royal Canin. As I continued my tour of Royal Canin in the south of France, I asked Thomas Bissot about new developments in pet food, as well as what we need to be aware of when we buy pet food. Well, of course, there are some very interesting research programs at the moment, but some of them are a bit confidential. I would say in terms of uh, raw material, for example, it's we are more and more on this planet. Huh? And, and we want to provide sustainable raw material to, uh, to our, our pets and we will not interfere with the human food. We think it's unacceptable, you know, to provide, to, to source from poultry meat that could, you know, <laughs> be for human people. So we, are, we have dedicated people uh, searching for innovative and uh, uh, new raw materials. So we have, for example, insects, we have algae, there are many things. This is, this is uh, let's say, the corporate social responsibility. And we, we think that's... Uh, of course, we love dogs and cats, but um, we are not considering uh, dogs and cats as humans. So for us, I would say uh, there is a priority for, for men. We, we are working a lot also on the emergency area. Well, you know, that, uh, this is something that has been really underestimated, is the support of patients in an emergency context, you know? You can be the best surgeon in the world. If there is not a good nutritional support after your surgery, you might lose your patient. And so when you're saying emergency, so when a dog has had surgery or is exactly. uh, ill or chronically ill, um, supporting that animal through exactly. diet and nutrition, yes. yeah. Exactly, and sometimes uh, dogs and cats are not able to eat by themselves, so they, uh, the vets will put, you know, tube feeding, for example. And of course, you cannot put kibbles in those tube feedings, so we are uh, finding the right formulation and the right texture. They're not able to eat a lot, so we have to provide something very high in energy. Yeah, we're working a lot on that, mm -hmm. on, on liquids, wets, for example. Let's say that in Royal Can we have more uh, applicated research to the products, let's say. This, in Waltham, you really have the fundamental research. So people uh, working during five years on a very specific subject, you know, to get it a PhD. And we've been very, 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 very far in, in you know, the genetics, in, in many things. So I just wanted to clarify, I mean, you, did, you touched on there about that you are exploring more in the wets area. But mm. uh, for people that are, you know, sort of pro-wet food as opposed to yeah. kibble, 
why should your why should we feed our animals kibble? Yeah, first I have to to to, to tell that for a long time, you know, we were dry addicts. You know, we we're just like dry crazy, and we we're like dry, dry, dry. Wet is not good. Dry is the best. But we were smart people, so we we understood very clearly that it has, it was complementary. Um, to give you an example. Even if your formulation is perfect and the taste is extremely good for the dog or the cat, uh, if it's an old dog, you know, he has uh, teeth problems, he will not be able to chew those kibbles. So wet could be an option. Another option, uh, a cat. You know that cats are suffering from renal insufficiency, and the problem with that is they might suffer from dehydration. So when you give wets, you have to know that in a can you have almost 99% of water. So he will rehydrate himself. Uh, It's good for the palatability. You remember the wets, sometimes when you have a a dog or a cat uh, after a surgery or uh, in an intensive care unit, uh, when you give wets, it has a bit of more taste, so he will eat more easily. You don't have any starch uh, in the wets, so it's an excellent option for diabetic animals. You can use it in the tube feeding, for example. You see? Some people also mix both. You know, they give the kibbles, but they have this anthropomorphism. They look at the kibbles and say, wow, it doesn't look extremely tasty. And so I will add a bit of wet just to make it more smelly, and he will like it. The diet that we are creating are complete and balanced. From the moment you are adding something, it's not balanced anymore. So I, I would say it's not a huge problem, but it's more for you than for the dog. The dog doesn't need that. The cat doesn't need that. Of course, some cats, more I would say more than the dogs, would only eat wet. So this is not an issue. Of course, very important, there is also the question of doses. Many people do not pay attention to the rationing, to the allocation. Mm. It's a problem. We, we make sure that all our feeding guidelines are on the packaging and they have to be respected depending on you know, the level of activity, their sexual status and their body condition. So important, like with humans, to check the labels of what your dog or cat is eating. Can I ask, just across the board, if people are checking labels, what would be something that you would be concerned about? This is obviously on any brand. What should we be careful of? What should we be aware of as pet owners if we're looking at labels uh, on the packaging of the pet food? What for you would be an alarm bell? You have a composition, so you have a list of ingredients sometimes, a composition of a, li- a list of ingredients and also the uh, energy, so what I would call the ME, the metabolizable energy, so the energy provided by the nutrients that your body g- can use. So that's what you should be looking at. There should be a list of ingredients. There should be feeding guidelines, yeah. and as you've just outlined this. But what if you were to look at something like, which, I don't know, like sodium or salt or I don't know. Is there certain things that if they're high, that would be something you need to be to be aware of? We've not been good at reading labels, I think, generally for humans. And now we're starting yeah, to understand yeah. better. To, yeah. It's complicated because, you know, the problem is that uh, there is the units. Sometimes we, it would be in joules, sometimes in calorie, depending of you know if you are in uh, the US or if in Europe. Then it depends: uh, is it expressed per a certain amount of kibble, or is it expressed per kilocalorie? Uh, so this is something that we, it takes a bit of time and depending on the brand it will not ex- be expressed on the same way then there are formula to calculate the metabolic energy of a diet and we know that 
some formula has have evolved th- uh, over time. So, for example, uh, you would see that this energy has been calculated using the NRC 85. This one using the NRC 2006. So it's so it means that in certain conditions that might slightly be overestimate or underestimate. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. You will see that when it's when you have a lot of details, uh, most of the time. Um, it's good. Generally speaking, that's when you have a very short label and not many information, that scares me a bit. Uh, regarding the sodium, uh, we have to be very careful because there is also this anthropomorphism problem. We know that for many people, too much sodium, hypertension, heart problems, and eventually kidney problems. I give you an example. An example I like because it shows that nutrition can affect many systems. You know, depending on what you eat, this will influence the composition of your urine. This might induce the formation of uh, crystals that could, in a second step, aggregate to form uh, urinary stones, and that can, in a third step, let's say, stuck your uh, urinary tract, and then you're not able to evacuate urine anymore, and this could be uh, life-threatening. For the cat, for example, we, we there is a f- very famous condition that we call feline lower urinary tract disease. We can, thanks to the diets, decrease the potential of our urine to form those crystals. One of the good things in trial can we there are different urinary stones. And in the past, we know that to solve one kind of stones, we had to, let's say, acidify the diet. But by doing that, we're promoting another kind of stone. So we had to use another diet. And in fact, our can we realized that, in fact, this was only one parameter of the equation. And now we have a diet for both stones because pH was just so acidity uh, was just one of the conditions. We know that it's not only the pH, you have to take into account many other parameters that I will not detail. And this is what we call the RSS, relative supersaturation, and the SO index, you have to find on the packaging. And what is great is that we know that we were the first one to launch these diets, uh, being able to solve uh, all the problems. And regarding the sodium, for example, we increase the level of sodium because when you increase the level of sodium, you drink more. This is what they do in the bar. They put nuts with a lot of uh, salt, so you you drink more. By increasing uh, the the drink, you are diluting the, your, your urine. When you dilute your urine, you decrease the probability of those ions and electrolytes to interact with each other. And we were strongly attacked by our dear competitors at that time by saying that you are increasing the level of sodium. Uh, it's very dangerous for, for the heart. And the, so we done a, a, a fantastic study uh, that we call the Peanuts study, and that has been published in 2012, I think. We followed the cats for two years and realized that, in fact, the level of sodium that we were using did not affect at all. The t- the, no hypertension, no problems for the cats. Of course, we we, we were not working with uh, with um, uh, cats uh, in last last stage uh, uh, chronic uh, kidney insufficiency. But we so you see, increasing the level of sodium for a cat or for a dog, at least for a cat for sure, is not like for a human. They are able to tolerate higher level of sodium. So again, it's it's really down to you know the age of your animal, the type of animal you have, the needs. If there's any health concerns, you can't sort of say one fits all. It's about the individual. Exactly, and and also. Keep in mind that the vet, regarding the veterinary diet, we call them the prescription diet. This need to be prescribed. This is really extremely key. So I want to emphasize that this is this need to be prescribed by the vet as he would prescribe a medicine. You see, uh, for example, a urinary problems. You don't say, okay, just take the bag and 
It's okay. No, you prescribe why, what is the doses per day, when we control, etc. This is, it's not toxic. Huh? You can, you, you could eat uh, a urinary diet for your whole life, but uh, that would be a bit expensive, I think. Thomas, thank you very much. Now, I'm looking forward to having a look around the campus. So, um, I'm, it's going to be a completely new experience. So, yeah, thank you. Here. It's, it's, uh, it's, you're going to visit the campus? You'll be very impressed. And, you know, we are very proud of Royal Canon because there is this central lab as well. So the, the central lab are the people who are designing the methodology. You know, when you want to demonstrate something, you have to work on specific methodology to prove or to validate. And, and it is now used as a reference for mass pet care. So this is the lab that you will not go into the central lab. You will see probably the regional lab, which is also very interesting. But it, it just shows we are probably in the right direction. Huh? It was a fascinating time spent at the Royal Cannon campus in Montpellier, France. To hear other interviews and to see the photos, go to the blog at dubaii1038.com forward slash Dubai Today. You can click on the Animal House there as well. Talking of which, coming up after 11 o'clock, it is the Animal House taking your questions when it comes to your pet's health, well-being, nutrition needs, as well as their boarding, relocation and transportation needs. Send in your questions 4001.